0: So if you haven't opened your Bibles, please do so to Exodus chapter 3. We are going to be in chapter 3 through the end of chapter 4. And one of the things about conversations is they have a way of revealing things about us. You can learn a lot about a person by listening to them converse. Whether they're someone who's kind of a chatty Cathy or somebody who to get them to talk is like pulling teeth. Whether you talk a lot or you talk a little, you can learn a lot about someone by listening to what they say. You can learn about what makes them tick and what motivates them. You can learn about the things that they value and their morals, the things that they get excited about and joyful about, the things that make them angry, the people that are important to them. So much gets exposed about who we are, we reveal so much about who we are through our conversations. And so this morning, I want us to eavesdrop on a conversation Well, we can call this conversation, perhaps, the world's greatest fireside chat in Exodus 3 and 4. And so, imagine with me, if you will, that you are walking along a mountaintop in the Middle Eastern wilderness. And you come across, you come up up over the top of a peak, and you're startled by the sight of a shoeless shepherd kneeling before a burning bush. As interesting as that, as you move in close and you notice this bush is on fire, but the bush is not being consumed. That's pretty crazy. But then you're also, hey, there, there must be something special about this bush because of all the times you've been walking in the wilderness in the mountains, you've never seen a shepherd take off his sandals and bow before a burning bush. And so you think, okay, something's going on here, might want to pay attention. And then suddenly a voice speaks from the bush. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the voice says. I have come to save my people. I I have seen their misery. I have heard their cries. I know about their suffering in Egypt, and I have come down to rescue them. And it hits you. Whoa, this is God speaking in the bush. I, I don't know who this shepherd is, but what a moment. God is speaking from this bush to the shepherd. And what is God saying? He's saying he has heard the cry of his people. He's seen their suffering. He knows. He's intimately connected. And he's coming down to rescue them. What a moment. You're hearing God speak to a man, and God is speaking promises of salvation. What a moment. What a thing to hear. And then God continues. Because I have heard the cry of my people, and I intend to rescue them, Says to the shepherd, go, you go, you go before Pharaoh, you bring my people out of Egypt. Wow, this conversation got really interesting. Now you understand why God is talking to the shepherd. He is telling this shepherd, hey, I'm gonna save my people and I'm gonna use you to do it. I'm sending you to go before the most powerful man who's in charge of the most powerful empire in the world. Tell him, let my people go, bring them out. I mean, what a moment, What a responsibility. What a thing to be told, for the shepherd to be told that I'm going to use you to save my people. I'm going to use you to bring my people out of the most powerful empire on the planet. I mean, this is heavy stuff. And then the shepherd responds with a question. Who am I that I would go before Pharaoh and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Hey, great question. When someone says that you're going to go confront the most powerful man on the planet and tell him to let a bunch of people go, you probably are going to ask, why me? Understandable question. God responds, I will be with you. And here is a sign to you that when you bring the people out, you will worship God on this mountain. It's an interesting answer to the question, who am I? God didn't even really answer the question. He didn't sort of pep talk him up and say, hey, here's all these innate qualities that you have. This is the reason I'm calling you. Hey, Here's this inner character, and inner strength that you have. He doesn't do any of that. He says, I will be with you. Hey, shepherd, here's the thing that most defines you. I am going to be with you. My presence will be with you. And what's more, my presence is going to bring you out back into the wilderness on this mountain, and I'm gonna meet you here. So I'm gonna meet you in Egypt. I'm gonna meet you back here. And I'm gonna meet you in between. God is being very clear to the shepherd. My presence is with you. Again, another question from the shepherd. Well, when I go to the people of Israel and I say the God of our ancestors has appeared to me and has told me to bring you out of Egypt, what should I say your name is? Okay, again, a fair question. Like, look, if if I showed up going, hey, everyone, I'm leading this thing, the burning bush told me. You probably look at me like I'm a little crazy. I mean, it's fair to say, if a burning bush told you that you are now in charge of an entire nation, people might get a little skeptical. But because, in all seriousness, to claim to speak for God is a serious thing. To claim that you speak for God to his people is a serious and significant thing, and the people of God wisely should question that. But for you to speak the name of God and to give the meaning of that name, that is a way to make it clear, hey, what I'm saying is true. And so God answers, I am who I am. Tell Israel, I am has sent you. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has, sent, has appeared to me and is sending me to you. This is my name, and this is how my name is to be remembered Forever. You see, homeboy asked God his name, and God told him. A pretty significant moment. I am Yahweh. I am. I exist. I am the self-sufficient one. I am the eternal one. I am the one who is the sovereign creator over all things. I am meaning I am who I am, who I am who I was, I am who I am now and I am I am who I will be, the eternal unchanging one, the one who is forever faithful and loving and who it will keep his promises to his people. The God who makes promises and keeps promises. This name speaks of the power and the glory and the faithfulness of God. And he is telling the shepherd his name and what it means. And he says, You take this name back to my people so they know who is rescuing them and who you speak for. What a moment for the shepherd. But God continues I want you to go back and I want you to assemble the elders of Israel, the leaders of Israel. And I want you to tell them, I've appeared to you and I've given you a mission that you are going to come out from among slavery in Egypt. You are gonna lead the people out. So you're gonna tell them that I have sent you and they're going to believe you. That's a great little promise right there. And then here's what you're gonna do. Y'all are gonna get together and then you're gonna march into Pharaoh and you're gonna say, Pharaoh, Yahweh has met with us. He has spoken with us. And he says, we're getting out of here and we're gonna go worship him on the mountain. So let us go. But here's the bad news, shepherd. He ain't gonna listen to you he's not going to listen to you. In fact, even if you had the might of an entire army, he would not listen to you. But when I stretch out my hand, when I perform my miracles, when I give him the once over, he's going to listen to you. And he's going to let you go. And here's what's going to happen. When he lets you go, I'm going to give you guys such favor. You're going to ask the Egyptians, hey, you see that silver? Can I have that? Why? Sure, take it. How about that gold? Sure, take it. How about that Those clothes that you have in your closet, sure, take all of that. I'm going to give you such favor with the Egyptians that when you ask for whatever you need, they're going to give it to you, so much so you're going to actually plunder these people. The people who had enslaved you for 400 years, you're going to get it back. That's how much favor I'm going to give you. That's how much my power is going to be with you, so much so that I'm going to bring Pharaoh to his knees. He's going to release you. And then I'm gonna bless you with abundance. How about that, shepherd? How about hearing those words in the midst of a conversation? I mean, what power, what, what, what presence, what blessing. I mean, at this point, you're listening to this conversation, you're like, let's go, shepherd, come on, God has just promised you this. Listen to how much he's going to be with you and the way he's going to exercise and flex on your behalf and the blessing he's going to give you. Let's go, dude. Let's go do this. Let's go back to Egypt. Here's the shepherd's response. Hey, what if, what if Israel doesn't believe me? What, what, if, what if I come and say the Lord has appeared to me, but, but Israel doesn't believe me? I don't know about you, but if I was listening to that conversation, you'd be like, yo, dude, what is it with Israel that you're so afraid of? Why do you keep coming back to Israel? Did something happen in your past? Did, did something happen with these folks that you have a hard time believing they're going to trust you? Like, what is going on, shepherd? Why are you so reluctant? Well, here's where the conversation gets even more interesting, so to speak. God says, Hey, what's that in your hand? A staff? Throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground. Immediately becomes a snake, and like any normal adult, he runs away from it. Like, you see a snake, out. Hey, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. I don't know how many snakes you've caught, but from what I hear, that's like the worst place to ever grab a snake. Grab it by the tail. Expose your hand to danger and damage. So he does, grabs it, and it turns back into a staff. God showing his power. God putting his power on display. That God has power over matter. He turns wood into flesh and blood. He turns bark into bones and brains and tissue and skeletal structural and nervous systems. Like God is showing, hey, I have power over all creation. This is also a demonstration of God's power over harm and threat and danger. Look, I can bring about danger. I can bring about threat. I can bring about destructive forces, but I can also rescue people from them. I'm in control of the danger. I'm in control of the threat. Also, power over Egypt. The pharaohs, their headdress that they would wear, at the front there was a clasp with the signet of a cobra, signifying their power. God was showing, hey, I'm the one that has power over Pharaoh. And when I flex my might, I'm going to bring Pharaoh to his knees and he's going to submit to my power. God continues hey, put your hand in your cloak, all right? Sticks his hand in his cloak. Pull it out. Pulls it out, covered in probably what was leprosy. Stick it back in, okay? Sticks it back in, pulls it back out, completely healed. God, again, demonstrating, I am the one who has power over all things. I am the one who can strike down. I am the one who heals. By these signs, they'll know, I've spoken to you. But, if they don't believe you, Pick up some dirt or pick up some water from the Nile, throw it on the ground. And when it hits the ground, it'll become blood. As we're going to see in a few weeks in our story, this was a symbol of God's power over the Nile. And the Nile to the Egyptians was a god, it was the source of life for them. And so, for God to turn the source of life and abundance and health into the sign of something that is de- deadly and life leaving the body was to show Him, hey, I have power over the Egyptians and their gods. These signs will confirm to Israel, I've spoken to you. I have power over Egypt and I'm going to save. Again, what an incredible moment for the shepherd to hear that God is telling them, I am going to save. I'm going to exercise my power. what, What a moment for the shepherd to recognize that God is going to use him to step into the brokenness and the slavery of his people and use him to bring salvation and redemption. What a moment to recognize that God uses people for his purposes and to have God tell you and commission you and say, I'm going to be with you and my power is going to be with you. All of that the shepherd is getting right in this moment, right in this conversation. Again, you would think, let's go, dude. Let's do this thing. Let's get out there and be on mission. Let's go accomplish the purpose God has given us. Well, you see, God, you know, I've never been really good at speaking. You know, in in the past or even right now, and even as we've been talking, I think it's kind of obvious that I'm, I'm not really good with words because my mouth and my tongue, they're kind of sluggish. It's like, come on, dude. He just turned a staff into a snake into a staff He made your hand leprous. He said he's gonna turn water into blood and you're worried about how fast you can put syllables together. God just demonstrated his power over creation and you're worried because you didn't do so well in speech and debate in school. Focusing on his inadequacy, focusing on his lack of ability. Because I am not a good speaker, I can't do this. I'm sorry, God. God's gracious reply. Hey, am I not the one who put a mouth on a man? Am I not the one who can cause someone to be deaf or mute, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Am I not the one who has control over your mouth? Am I not the one who's able to make someone speak or not speak, hear or not hear, see or not see? Am I not greater than your ability and your inability? Is my power not great enough that I can give you the words to speak? Hey, buddy, go. I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to teach you what to say. My words will be in your mouth. Don't worry about whether or not you can put the right words together and the right syllables together. Don't worry if you aren't a champion in speech and debate because my words will be in your mouth. I will be with you. I will empower you. I will provide for you. Again, Let's go, dude. Let's do this. Let's go be on mission. Please, Lord, send someone else. What started as humble, understandable questions has turned into outright refusal. What started as asking, hey, who am I? Who are you? What if they don't believe me? turned into, hey, can I just be dismissed? Can you find someone else? And in the midst of this conversation, suddenly the fire begins to burn brightly and you can just tell, okay, God is upset. And listen, rightfully so. Because what is this shepherd doing? God has just declared his intent to save people from slavery, to rescue them out of bondage and pain. And he wants to use this shepherd to be his vessel and his instrument for that rescue mission. And this guy is concerned about his ability to speak. Concerned about his credibility. Self-focused while other people suffer. No wonder God is upset. He's not only doubting God's power, he's saying, I don't care about the suffering of people. My concern, my self-regard, my credibility, my lack of ability, far more important than these people over here suffering. But even in the midst of that flash of anger, that righteous, just anger, comes grace, comes provision. Hey, what about your brother Aaron? He's very well-spoken. And you know what, I've already sent him and he's on his way. And when he sees you, he's gonna be so excited to see you. He's gonna rejoice when he sees you. And you know what? I'm going to give you both words to say. I'm going to teach you what to say. He's going to go with you. He's going to be a mouthpiece for you. He's going to support you in this mission. You're not going to be alone. So go. Pick up the staff, which is a symbol of my power and my authority with you, and go. Long pause. One of those awkward silences that maybe you've had with your kids when you've told them to do something and they just kind of stare at you deciding whether they're going to do it. And he just hangs there for a moment. Takes a deep breath. Bends down. Puts his sandals back on. Picks up his staff. And as he turns around, you see something in his eye that wasn't there before. Willingness. Settled obedience. What happened? What happened? What turned this scared, fearful, self-focused, self-obsessed shepherd who kept coming up with excuse after excuse after excuse trying to get out of this mission. What happened that he would put his sandals back on, pick up his staff, hightail it back to Egypt, go rally the people of God and confront Pharaoh? You know, conversations have a way of exposing and revealing things, but they also have this way of transforming us. Conversations have a power to reveal deeper truths in which we are transformed by. And here's what this shepherd, Moses, came to see in this conversation. Through the Lord, you are never too broken to be obedient. Through the Lord, you are never too broken to be obedient. What transforms fearful, self-focused, self-obsessed people who are very aware of their inadequacy, very aware of their sin, very aware of the struggles that are a part of their life, what transforms those people who, because of that, will be reluctant to be obedient, who will delay and even stiff-arm obedience into people who will joyfully, willingly serve the Lord, who will love and serve and sacrifice to others, even at great risk and great danger. What transforms them is not more knowledge, not more skill, not more achievement and more money, not more of a sense of credibility in the eyes of other people. What changes them is when they take hold of the presence, the power, and the provision of God, and they recognize that through the Lord, you're never too broken to be obedient. So here's what this conversation confronts us with. Where's your confidence If we were to listen to your conversations, if if you were to eavesdrop on my conversation, what would be exposed about where we put our confidence? What what, what would people hear about how you think about your own inadequacy and brokenness and sin and weakness? Because I wonder if you've ever had conversations like Moses had with God. Like, have you ever had conversations like that with God? Have you ever... Had those conversations where God is speaking his truth and his promises and his power to you. And you, yeah, yeah, I hear you, God, you're good and you're powerful, but but who am I? Really, who am I? Yeah, God, I know you're calling me into this thing, but but you know, I'm just so broken. I'm so weak. I'm inadequate, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the skill. God, I don't think they're gonna listen to me if you send me to go do this thing. I don't think it's going to work out. Please, please send someone else. Ever had those conversations? Now, First City, let me me get real here for a second. Well, for a few minutes. Look, I love you guys. Being away on sabbatical one of the things that grew in my heart is my love and my gratefulness and my appreciation for you guys. I am so proud of you guys. Like what God has been doing in this church over the past nearly seven years is beautiful. And I wanna affirm you in that. Like I love you all. My love has just deepened. I feel like the Apostle Paul writing to the church and just this affection pouring out. I wish I could just tell you how much I am grateful for you. But here's something that deeply concerns me as a pastor. I think a burden that I carry and continues to grow is that we allow our sin and our weakness to excuse us from being obedient. Like, listen, by God's grace, this is one of the things I'm proud of, by God's grace, we have built a culture here at First City Church where you don't have to perform and pretend. Like, you can come here and you can be honest about what hurts, honest about sin, honest about the struggles and the weaknesses you have, whether it's in your own fight with sin or in your marriage or in your parenting or in your job, wherever it may be. You can be honest about that. And that honesty and that humility is met with grace and patience and safety and the truth of the gospel. Like, we're not perfect at it. We're growing in that. But by God's grace, I think that defines our culture largely here as a church. But church... Here's what I'm afraid of, is that too often we are like Moses, where we are comfortable acknowledging our sin, acknowledging our weakness, and acknowledging our brokenness, and that's all the further it goes. And so what ends up happening is we think it is okay to not be confident in God. We think it's okay to delay or even outright stiff arm obedience. That's not okay, okay? Friends, I'm not saying we need to just start like guilting each other into obedience. Like, hey, what's your problem? Get it together. You know, start beating up ourselves, beating up other people. I'm not saying that. But listen, acknowledging inadequacy, confessing sin and weakness and brokenness, it's not a doctor's note that excuses us from the responsibilities of being a disciple of Jesus. And listen, our world, our world loves confession. Loves confession. Like people will air their junk all day long. Like hop on social media. It's an art form today. But here's what they do. They confess, they're honest, they put their junk out there in order to build a wall around it so you themselves, so you can't confront or question. Here's my junk. Here's my truth, but don't you dare challenge it. Like, here's my story, here's my pain, here's my mess, but don't you dare question it. But then they also do this really weird thing where they say, I am enough, and, and sort of put confidence in themselves. And, and so it's this weird dance between defining themselves by their junk, but also trying to ego boost themselves. And sometimes I have to wonder, is that, is, what, is that version of confession what's shaping us? Is that what we think confession and honesty and humility are? Is that what's shaping you? Is that what's shaping me? Friends, if that form of honesty, or I should say it this way, if your honesty is allowing you to build walls around yourself where no one can question you, no one can challenge your sin and your brokenness, where you don't have to do the hard work of change. That's not biblical honesty. If your humility allows you to delay obedience or outright stiff arm obedience, that's not biblical humility. And let me just say this. Look, if you're living there, if that's where you're living, here's what you're doing. You're putting your confidence in yourself, And you're defining yourself by your sin and your weakness and your brokenness. And if you live there, it's no wonder you're enslaved to fear. It's no wonder that you won't walk in obedience. And it's no wonder that you seek to compensate for that by trying to get more knowledge and more skill and more achievement. Friends, that is not the way of Christ. That's not the way of our God. God. That is not the gospel. That's not the good news of Jesus Christ for us. Because listen, biblical humility, biblical honesty leads us away from ourself and leads us to confidence in the Lord and his presence and his power and his provision. Like this is what biblical honesty and humility will look like. Hey, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I have been broken by my own sin and the sin of other people. Hey, yes, in many ways, I am inadequate. Many ways, the things God has called me to are too big for me. Yes, I am weak. Yes, my past still trips me up from time to time. Yes, the moment is too big, but that is not what most defines me. That is not what determines how I live my life. That is not what what determines my obedience. No, what defines me, what determines my obedience is that God's presence is with me. I am, who am I? I'm the one God is with. God's power is a thing that I put my confidence in and rely on. God's provision is there to care for me and equip me. Like when we're biblically humble and biblically honest, we move away from ourselves, we move away from our sin and, our, and, and focusing on our weakness and we run to the Lord. We run to the Lord and there, there, we find this truth. We're not too broken to be obedient. God knew who Moses was. You think God didn't know how jacked up Moses was? Like he knew more than Moses knew. I mean flip through the pages of scripture and ask yourself why does God seem to find the most jacked up backward dude he can? Like he just God made this an art form. Because over and over and over and over, scripture declares to us, you're not too broken to be obedient because it's not dependent upon you. Through the Lord. And here's the good news for us, friends. In Christ, in Christ, we're not too broken to be obedient. Because as amazing as that display of God's power and His provision and His presence was in Moses on that mountain, we got something better. That may, that may be hard to believe in some ways, but we have something better. Like how amazing was it that God showed up and spoke to Moses, showed up in a flaming fire in a bush and spoke to Moses, made his presence known and, and they had an interaction. I mean, that is marvelous and incredible. But how about this? The son of God came down and literally became flesh and we could look him in the eyes. Like like Moses bowed his head and wouldn't look at the fire, but God has come so we can look him in the eye, touch him, hug him, hear his voice, smell, interact with him. His presence that up close and personal, far greater than even what God showed in the bush. And what do we have? The promise we have from Christ as he ascended into heaven and as he sent his disciples on mission, I will never leave you or forsake you. His presence forever. Like how amazing that God would speak promises to a man about redemption and and salvation and rescue, that God saw the suffering and pain of his people and he sent somebody in to be a deliverer. I mean, amazing that God would do that. But when it came down to the the ultimate fight, When it came down to setting people free, not just from political slavery, but from the slavery of sin and evil and death, God didn't send a scared shepherd. God didn't send a weak, wilting uh, guy who was trying to get out of his assignment. No, he sent his son who perfectly obeyed and perfectly went in, willing. He wanted to glorify his father. He wanted to save God's people. He wanted to go to the cross. Yes, it wasn't hard. Or it was hard. He had to suffer. But what scripture makes abundantly clear, for the joy set before him, he willingly endured the cross. Jesus didn't second guess. Jesus didn't ask to be relieved of duty. No, he went willingly. And what did he do? He died upon a cross to take our punishment. He died upon a cross to to, to set us free from our sin. And he rose victoriously on the third day to defeat sin and evil and death itself. And the hope we have is that he's gonna return and transform everything. Like, friends, that's what Jesus accomplished. Moses could never accomplish that. Moses was far too weak, but Jesus, oh, Jesus was abundantly sufficient for that. And God sent Jesus. The power of God put on display greater than anything else. And also consider this I mean, it would have been really cool to see a stick turn into a snake and then turn back. Like, what a cool sign! I mean, I don't know about the, the leprosy for a moment on my hand. That would be a little freaky. But still, to see those signs would have been amazing for Moses. He got some incredible signs. What sign do we get? An empty tomb. Far greater than a staff to snake to staff. Far greater than a display of God's power over sickness. Far greater than turning water into blood is an empty tomb. Because what does that empty tomb declare? That the greatest threat that you and I face, sin and death, has been defeated. That God actually took the sin, the sin that man inflicted on the Son of God and struck him down and killed him. He actually used those things to bring about our redemption. That is the biggest flex in history. I will take sin. I will take death. And through them, I'm going to accomplish salvation and set this cosmos free from them. No greater sign than the empty tomb. And friends, when we think about the provision that God gave to Moses, he sent his brother. Amazing an encouragement, a voice, someone who would go to war with Moses. It's far greater than Aaron. Who do we have to give us words to speak, puts words in our mouth, helps us in those moments? The Holy Spirit. Not a human, but the Holy Spirit of God working in us, transforming us, renewing us helping us to be faithful to what God has called us to do. The very power and presence of God indwelling in us. But not only that, we have brothers and sisters. Make no mistake, you are a provision, you are a grace of God to one another. God has given you to one another in order to bear those burdens and encourage each other in the work. And so friends, to see the provision that God has given his spirit and his people shows that we're never too broken to be obedient. So let me say this in conclusion, church. Whether it's your own struggle with sin and just growing in maturity, whether it is in your family, marriage, parenting, whether it is in your job, whether it is in Loving and serving and discipling people in the church, whether it's loving and serving people in the neighborhood and sharing the gospel, whatever work God has given to you, he's given all of us work. He's all called us to something. Whatever that is, whenever we face that down, what's going to be right there beside it? Our struggles, our sin, our past tripping us up. Like this isn't gonna be easy. No way, shape, or form is this going to be easy. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be toil. We live in a world of suffering and brokenness. We still have to face this body of death that we live in until Christ comes. But that is not the thing that most defines us. That is not the thing that determines whether or not we can be obedient. Friends, through Christ, you're not too broken to be obedient. Christ is the presence of God for you. Christ is God's power for you. Christ is God's provision for you. And so here is what that looks like for us to grow in. We need to saturate our minds with God's word and commune with God in prayer. What transformed Moses? A conversation with God. What does conversation with God look like? Getting in his word and hearing him speak to you. Communing with him in prayer and having him speak to you. If we want to be transformed and anchored in Christ, we need to be having conversations with Jesus. We need to be listening to his voice. And so let us saturate ourselves with God's word and commune with him in prayer. Let's also live in dependence upon the Spirit, depending on this, upon the Spirit for power as he leads us into those difficult situations, at times risking, at times Moving into those things where, yes, we could fail. Yes, we could look silly. Yes, we could look stupid. It might not go how we want. Didn't go smoothly for Moses. But in that, depending upon the Spirit and the Spirit working in us and through us. And then also each other. Like, let it always be known that we never work alone or live alone. We're not walking by ourselves. We have one another. And so let us commit to encouraging one another, strengthening one another, discipling one another, challenging one another. When people confess and acknowledge sin and weakness, let us enter into those things with truth and love and grace. And yes, at times, challenge. But let's not just let those things kind of hang out there in the air and just like, oh, thanks for sharing. No, we want to usher people towards Christ. And so in the midst of whatever God has called us to do, in the midst of the struggle and the trial, in the midst of facing down our sin and our brokenness, let's take hope. Let's take hope. Let's trust in God's presence and power and provision in our lives. And as we walk together, let us let no one forget. Can we make this deal? No one is going to forget. Can we make this a mantra at First City Church? In Christ, you're never too broken to be obedient. Let's pray.